0: Hello and welcome to the Shift HR Radio Download, where we serve as a resource for HR professionals and business leaders, and anyone looking for valuable information that's going to empower you to make positive and meaningful impacts in your workplace. My name is Karen Byington, and I'll be your host today. So as our regular listeners know, we often look back at topics we've covered before and then delve deeper into an aspect that we only had a chance to cover very briefly. And so today, we're gonna look back at a recent episode that we did where we talked about the EEOC task force on harassment in the workplace. And in that episode, we discussed the EEOC's recommendation for harassment and discrimination training. And one recommendation that was made um, and came as a surprise to many is that they suggested that companies offer bystander training in addition to the more traditional harassment and discrimination training that they've typically been providing. So today I have Catherine Nook Freeman with me, and we're going to talk about what bystander training actually is and why the EEOC and other experts in the field um, have been so strongly um, promoting the benefits of this type of training. So welcome back, Catherine. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be back. So before we dive too deep into what bystander training actually is and would entail, why don't you remind us what the EEOC had to say about the bystander training?
1: Absolutely. So for those of you who remember last June's EEOC Select Task Force report, It was a report which studied harassment in the workplace, and it came to many different conclusions. But one of those conclusions was that in order for employers to make a real change in the persistence of harassment in the workplace, they'd need to incorporate, quote-unquote, new and different approaches to training. And the EEOC felt that bystander intervention training, in particular, Um, showed real promise for harassment prevention. And some of you may already have heard this term before, bystander intervention training, because it's been used more and more so to combat, for example, sexual violence on university campuses. And it's also been used in the lower school context to really help students combat bullying. So it's a concept that's been used in a number of different situations, and the EEOC felt it would be very relevant to this situation as well,
0: yeah. And like we said in our the other episode, it really should be applauded that the EEOC has taken the initiative to seek out and recommend mm-hmm. new ways for employers to address the problem of harassment in the workplace. It's just it's really surprising that it's taken thirty years for to really see momentum for change. Um, it's a lot been going the same for a long time. You're right. You're right. That's that's definitely true.
1: And. You know, we've seen it with uh, clients both at SHIFT HR Compliance Training and at my law firm that the fact that many companies want to do more and want to do better and obtain better results. But until recently, there were, you know, there was little information. There were few ideas that were, were out there or guidance and options, you know, to offer change. And one of my favorite quotes is a quote by Maya Angelou. When when I'm talking, especially in this area where employers are learning more and want to do better and obtain better results, I think of this quote. And the quote is, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And this is the perfect instance of where that comes into play, because now the EEOC has really set forth a roadmap for employers, giving them additional ideas and additional evidence of what works within the workplace. So it's a great opportunity for now employers to put that in place and to really uh, start incorporating those tactics. And yeah, I really love that
0: quote by my Angela. Isn't yeah. that a great yeah, quote? Yeah, it's, it's really
1: great. It's really, really appropriate for this situation. So um, you know, my founding business partner, Suzanne, Sarah, and I have, have really tried to be at the forefront of creating change, especially when it comes Um, in terms of the raising of awareness of unconscious bias in the workplace. And we want to see all of our clients really work to prevent behaviors that can lead to legal trouble and also can destroy uh, an otherwise positive culture. And we really want to guide them in creating these cultures that are positive and ultimately more productive and successful for their organizations and for every employee within those organizations.
0: Right. So for companies that do want to learn more about what the EEOC was referring to um, when it talked about bystander training, what might that entail? How would you describe what by tan- bystander training actually is? Well, the EEOC refers to bystander intervention training,
1: and that terminology, as I mentioned earlier, really comes from the, the great work they're seeing on college campuses to prevent sexual assaults and, again, as I mentioned, at lower schools to prevent bullying. And when it comes to the workplace in particular, I like to refer to this type of education as creating an upstander culture. And I think it goes even so far beyond the workplace. It it works its way into our society. And, you know, in my case, it's certainly a very important proposition in my family where we really encourage our children to really be upstanders in the community and and some of you may have recently watched with your kids there's a very um, popular show out there entitled 13 reasons why on Netflix and it really deals with the situation of a troubled teenager who ultimately ends up committing suicide after a series of of incidents at her school and the 13 she lists the 13 reasons why and many of them involved other students who were merely bystanders and did not take an upstander position or role. And so it really is essential, whether you're talking about your family, society, the workplace, that we really do Everything we can to create an upstander culture.
0: Yeah, and I really love that term upstander because I think it really emphasizes a positive act as opposed to something stagnant. Yeah, you know, like a bystander.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, in terms of you know the technicality, what what is an upstander? The technical definition is it's somebody who speaks up and becomes involved. Whereas the the, the opposite of that is a bystander, who's somebody who's present. But not involved, a spectator, an onlooker, someone who's merely passive. Right. So how
0: would you go about beginning to create an upstander culture?
1: Well, there, there are lots of things that you can do to create an upstander culture. You know, For example, one of the first things you can do is recognize the fact that some people within your workplace or within your school or within your family, depending on what your context is, some people... Um, uh, For some people, the only place they experience diversity, for example, is at work. So they may live, your employees may live in segregated neighborhoods. They may attend segregated houses of worship. They may be part of segregated golf clubs, other clubs, recreational activities. And so you really have to acknowledge that and keep that in mind as an initial starting point.
0: Yeah, and in addition to that, you also have um, an increasing economic divide within our populations and even in the workplace where people are so segregated by their income levels that they don't have the daily interaction. The workplace may be the only place that CEOs and executives are intermingling with some entry-level employees. That, that's exactly right. So the first, the first key really is raising
1: awareness of that fact, raising awareness of the fact that we all come to the workplace from these different perspectives. And so I recommend before we move on to encouraging people and teaching people how to speak up after they see an injustice, first start by raising awareness around these diversity issues, around unconscious biases, because the hope is that the first step is awareness And then we can ultimately
0: prevent some of these
1: behaviors.
0: Yeah. And listeners, we share a lot about unconscious bias awareness in some of our previous episodes. So you're always welcome to go back and listen to some of those or reach out to our shift team so you can get more information about unconscious bias awareness if that's something that strikes your interest.
1: Yes, I, I, I echo Karen's sentiments. We're always happy to, to talk to listeners, answer questions, brainstorm together, share ideas, uh, not just about, there are a number of studies out there really identifying the unconscious bias, but talking more about what are the solutions, whether it's upstander, creating an upstander culture
0: and bystander intervention training or anything else along those lines. So once an employer is focused on the prevention side, what do they do next? So it's good to start with some goals initially for creating an upstander
1: culture. So for example, the goal of creating an upstander culture really needs to be endorsed from the top down, beginning with senior management, because that's the only way to give true credibility to this mission of creating an upstander culture. And through creating that culture, creating an environment you need to make sure that you're creating an environment that empowers your employees to act. And furthermore, you're creating an environment and, again, integral culture of the organization where bias and discrimination are not tolerated. And, you know, you look at different organizations throughout the country and you can, you can clearly see which organizations have a really strong culture where these types of behaviors, you know, bias and discrimination, are not tolerated versus those where they're more prevalent because there's there's not quite the same strong culture against those uh, those
0: things. So if you are you know looking to you know agree and you want to make sure that you're setting these goals for an upstander culture, then what does a company need to keep in mind when they're looking to do some sort of training around bystander upstander training? So one thing to keep in mind and what a good
1: bystander intervention training will address, either directly or indirectly, is the threshold issue of why some bystanders fail to act in the first place. Um, Because there usually are a number of reasons behind that. For example, you may have employees in the workplace who really believe that somebody else is going to step in and act so that they don't need to do so. Others may 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 not be sure what they should do or what they should say. They may not have the same confidence level as um, other stronger leaders. And along those same lines, some of your employees may feel peer pressure to stay silent and not speak up. And they may also fear retaliation from the person who's actually inflicting the comments and then, of course, there's also the group of in employees who have just been become desensitized to the bad behavior, and they almost don't even recognize it. Yeah. So it really could be any one of those reasons.
0: Yeah, and I, I think if we're honest, we can probably all look back and think of situations we've been in where one of those came into account and we didn't step up where maybe we could have. You know, it's interesting. I was just listening to um, a BBC report on the way into work today, and there was a story about... Um, An incident that just happened in China, I believe it was in the Hunan province, but a pedestrian was hit by a taxi and fell into the road, and there's um, a surveillance camera that picked up dozens of people that walked by and left her laying in the street. Some people were watching. Some people just walked by, and she was there for a full minute before another car came by and hit her um, to cause her to die. But she would have lived if someone had Mm -hmm. stepped in. So it had been an upstander. Yeah. So it's almost this, you know, level of desensitization that someone else is going to act, or it's not so bad, or they don't even really see it for being real or feeling the pain of the other person. Right, yeah. right. And I think you were telling me too that didn't they then interview people to find
1: out, as we were just talking about, why why is it that some people don't act? Why is it that some people just assume the role of passive bystander, right? And there were multiple reasons. Yeah, so there are
0: there are a, a real variety of reasons that people that they interview gave for why they didn't react. And some were seemingly as callous as, well, I'd really have to think about how busy I was before I, you know, decided to stop and help someone else, which just seems crazy when you think about someone laying in the street, but it's it's what happened. Um, but there was also um, people bringing up a court case that happened in China, um, I believe at least a year earlier, but there was a good Samaritan type person who carried an injured person to the hospital for treatment, and that person was later sued and sent to jail, I believe, because they said the judge ruled that, well, if you weren't responsible, for hurting them why would you ever have helped in the first place so it shows this mentality of not helping and it's not only in china i'm sure these things are happening all over and we want to make sure that we are helping to change the culture and making sure that people do feel empowered to right. be upstanders there needs to
1: be that reversal of that of that trend across the world right no no there's less room for bystanders but there's all
0: the room in the world for upstanders so and getting back to what you were saying, so we have those reasons for addressing the why nots, but mm-hmm. I know you need to make sure that you're including a few concepts, um, some other concepts in the training as to what you need to do. E- exactly, exactly. And there's, you also want to make sure that you cover um, multiple
1: scenarios. So if you're going to train your employees on bystander intervention training, you want to include workplace scenarios that ring true to your employees. They want to be nuanced, think about your particular company, your particular industry, and really identify examples that have happened within your organization as a starting point. And then give your learners, your employees, an opportunity to role play their responses to these different situations so they can practice how they would respond, whether it's practicing online through responding or practicing through a workshop scenario. And you also want to provide your learners with a variety, a variety of ways to respond. Keeping in mind that you have many different types of people within the organization, and one employee may, for example, resort to to humor to address an issue. Another may be much more straightforward. Another may want to operate behind the scenes. So you want to really provide those. Those uh, the variety of ways to respond.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this before that, you know, you have to make sure that you're taking into account the different personality types and varying levels of confidence that they may have in responding. You know, you may have somebody that's very senior that has a lot more confidence in addressing a situation. Um, somebody may be more familiar with the person who's making an offending comment, let's say, and it's easier for them to interact. So you need to make sure when you're training your employees that you're giving them You know, multiple options so that different employees can kind of stand up using, you know, um, a format or a way that's most comfortable for them. Exactly, exactly. Um, You also want to make sure that you
1: emphasize that your organization, as we talked about, really supports upstander behavior and there's no risk of retaliation for standing up for somebody else. Uh, You also want to emphasize that intervening is not required but it's highly highly encouraged because the fact of the matter is you may have some people who just feel super sensitive or or very uncomfortable in the situations and you don't want to be you don't want to be putting them in a position where they in turn will feel as though they're a victim they're part of the harassment yet as i mentioned you want to make sure that it's highly highly encouraged and that you give as many of your employees the tools to really address these issues and be upstanders whenever possible. You also want to offer a process for upstanders to report bad behavior they may have witnessed either in addition to confronting the person directly or as a substitute for that because you want to make sure that those, for example, in human resources who know how to handle these situations at the next level are really made aware of these situations and are involved so that they can continue to make sure that evolution into the upstander culture really occurs as seamlessly as possible.
0: All right, so to get a good understanding of what types of situations in the workplace might call for upstander intervention, as we say, do you mind giving us a few quick scenarios of like something that people may encounter and then some options about how they could respond? Absolutely. Okay, so Let's take let's take a first scenario. Uh, say for
1: example, you sit down for your fourth meeting in 2 days and the senior director in the meeting asks your colleague Susan to take notes for the team. And you happen to realize that this senior director always asks Susan, who happens to be the only woman on the team, to take the meeting notes. So you might ask yourself, how should I respond here? I know that Susan is being pigeonholed into this note-taking role. I know she's the only female. How do I respond? One, ignore it. After all, Susan's very thorough with her notes and she's not complaining about it. Two, second option, call out the senior director and say, why do you always ask Susan to take notes? Or three, say, I think Susan took notes at the last meeting and I'm happy to take a turn this time. So again, those three different approaches They really give three different options depending on the personality
0: of the person at issue. Yeah, and it's such a realistic situation that you give because I think that this is a typical way that women are pigeonholed in the office, that they may move up to a certain real senior level, but they're still seen as the one that's going to do the secretarial duties. So these are really ways that you can make a huge cultural impact by saying a few small words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, you, you probably noticed in the
1: three options that I gave, if we were doing a workshop on this, we'd point out how the first option was certainly not the best approach, you know, because you'd want to make sure that you know, it, just because somebody's not complaining about being pigeonholed doesn't mean they're still not being pigeonholed, and that's part of being an upstander. Don't not waiting until somebody has complained about the inappropriate or perhaps un, unintentionally biased behavior, but standing up and speaking up ahead of time.
0: Yeah, and also important why the um, the awareness raising before you get into the bystander training is so important because you wanna make sure that your learners, before they even know when to step in, they have to even recognize that this bias is is playing a role absolutely. in that situation.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Do
0: you want me to give you another example? Oh yeah, sure,
1: give us one more. So here would be another example which we've used before. So take the scenario where you have a boss who's very excited about a new initiative she's implementing. And one of your younger colleagues, Mateo, is a millennial and of a different generation than his boss and your boss. And he's one of a very small group who's actually opposed to the program that your boss has presented, believing it will be bad for the business. So Mateo ends up speaking up and voicing his opinion at the next executive meeting. And you see the other members of the executive team essentially rolling their eyes and whispering about Mateo wasting their time, how would you respond? So clearly, uh, Mateo as a millennial sees things from a different perspective. So your options could be, one, don't say anything, and hopefully the meeting will end quickly. Two, speak up and say, I know Mateo has given this a lot of thought. Let's give him a chance to, to really articulate his concerns. Or three, don't say anything, but after the meeting, point out to your colleagues that They were being rude to Mateo. There are multiple ways that you could really handle this situation.
0: Yeah, and just like you said before, you're giving them options for someone who may be a little more comfortable speaking directly at the meeting itself um, and saying that we should be giving Mateo some concerns, and then someone who may be a little shyer, a little more reserved, but you're still giving them some training and how they could address Matteo and maybe put him at ease as a colleague um, rather than being the person that speaks up at a meeting
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in this particular situation, not every situation where you're encouraging upstanders does there need to be a legal or illegal issue at play here this you know there's nothing illegal about senior colleagues discounting what a junior, colleague of a different generation has to say, but is it really the type of culture that you want to build within your organization? And that's why as a leader who's observing that, you have a vested interest in speaking up and
0: and, and really fleshing that out. Yeah. So Catherine, this has been so interesting. I wish we had time to go through more scenarios. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to share before we finish up?
1: No, no. I mean, I just think the more that employers can train on, as we talked about, the raising awareness of these unconscious biases and then the ways that we can really put structures in place and encourage our teams to really um,
0: act against them will just benefit all employers in the long run. All right. So really, we have to make sure that we are, you know, keeping people, you know, trained and knowing how to always be working to improve culture and knowing that improved culture is always going to, end up leading to improved business and success. So Catherine, thank you so much for being here and enlightening us as you always do with an enormous amount of information in a really short period of time. And listeners, we thank you for joining again, and we'd love to hear your thoughts and your suggestions and your ideas. So please reach out to us on iTunes or SoundCloud or come to our website at GetShiftHR.com. Take care.